may take a seat. Well, we will be starting a new uh, series on the book of Matthew. Uh, just so happens we're starting it in the Christmas season. It will eventually be a, uh, in the evening services that we will continue going through the book of Matthew after the, this season. But, but today I thought it would be appropriate for us to consider this genealogy. And let me dispel one of those misconceptions. Genealogies are not in the Bible for us to, to find or to have a choice of uh, original names to give our children. That's not the purpose of the genealogies. Genealogies were very important at the time that the, the Gospel of Matthew was written. The Jews used to be, be very careful and very meticulous uh, in keeping track and record of names and uh, of family trees of descendants and ancestors for several reasons. First of all, there was questions of land. The lands were passed on from father to son, if not sold, and so on. That's why it was important to have a record of who was the son of whom, who, to know who had the right to certain lands and certain properties. Also, genealogies were important because of, for family reasons. There was a law, as we know from considering the uh, look, having gone through the book of Ruth recently, there was a law in Israel that if a man dies without leaving descendants to, to his wife, uh, his brother was to marry the widow to generate children so that the name of the deceased would not be left without descendants. It was important to have a genealogy, to know who had the, the duty of leveret and who uh, had to fulfill these marriage or these, this leveret marriage law. There were also religious issues behind the need and the necessity to keep close track of who, uh, to whose family tree you belong. There was a tribe in Israel, you know, Israel was composed of 12 tribes, and there was a tribe in Israel, the Levites, that was totally and completely dedicated to the worship in, uh, and the service in the temple. And the Levites, for the Levites, genealogies were vitally important because for, that were, they were the way that they proved to others and, to, and between them who was a Levite, who, who has a right of access to the temple and the opportunity to serve and to minister in it, to be a, a part of that very special calling that they had. So for that reason, you find that in the, in the four Gospels, we have two genealogies of our Lord Jesus in order to establish his ancestry, in order to establish his pedigree, from whom he came, what lineage, what tribe he belonged to, and much more than that. Despite that at first glance, it might seem, I, I know, like a boring uh, um, reading, one name going after the other, that we don't know these names. We, perhaps for some of us, this is the first time that we have read some of these names. But actually, the description of the genealogy 
of Jesus in the book of Matthew has several more purposes for us to consider and for us to see, which I would like to show you. He wasn't without a doubt to show that that child born in the manger 2,000 years ago was born in Bethlehem, was the one that the Christians of his day were saying that, that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He wanted to show clearly that that child was the fulfillment of all those ancient promises, all those, those prophecies that God had made to his people from time, from ancient time. And by recording this genealogy of uh, of the ancestry of Jesus, he shows, first of all, that Jesus was, as we read in verse 1, the son of Abraham. And why is that important? Why is it important that Jesus was the son of Abraham? It was to Abraham that the promise came first of a, an offspring, in that sense, uh, uh, that would come, uh, someone who would be a, a blessing upon all the nations of the world. All the Jews knew that the Messiah, the promised one, the one that was to come, were had needed to be a Jew, needed to be a descendant from Abraham, a physical offspring of Abraham. Because it was only to Abraham and to no other, that, and to no one else that God had made the promise that from him, would come the one expected to bless the nations, who would redeem the whole world. And that is why the genealogy begins by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, who was the son of Abraham. So Abraham marks the beginning of the genealogy. He is the first to whom Matthew here refers. Uh, he was the father of the Jewish nation. He, is called, he was called a friend of God the father of faith. So, therefore, the Messiah, whoever he was to be, in the mind of a Jew, he was to be a descendant of Abraham. He was to be Abraham's seed, who, because he was him who received these promises. And this genealogy makes it very clear. Jesus Christ is a legitimate Jew, he was a descendant of Abraham, that child born in Bethlehem, that child who came into this world, he was a Jew. And this is important because throughout the first few centuries of Christian history, there was a lot of blasphemous corruptions and theories about the, the inter, or interpretations uh, about the the. the the miracle of the incarnation and the, the miracle of the virgin birth. One such um, blasphemous theory that uh, came up uh, in the first few centuries was that, well, actually Mary wasn't really a virgin. She just had an affair with a Roman uh, soldier, and that was the excuse. They tried to present Jesus as a form of, a, uh, as an illegitimate child of a Roman soldier. I have no doubt if that was the case. If, if that was the case, then there would have been people who would have known about it at the time. And they would have said, no, no, I know this story. It's not the Holy Spirit. 
There would be no lack of witnesses of what had happened there and then. But as you read through ancient literature, the literature of the period, we search in vain. Even among the Romans, who were uh, historians, who were careful in, uh, in recording history, even among them who mentioned Jesus and this Christian movement or this movement that, of his disciples uh, that he started, you look for any reference, you look for any uh, reference to anything like this, and you don't actually find it. It was just a later uh, thing presented a few centuries later after the fact that today some atheists and unbelievers use it as proof uh, with no proof and no grounding in history whatsoever. It is simply because of unbelief. It is simply because of, of their own hardness of hearts to accept the biblical record of who Jesus is, that they present these false truths because there is no, no, no grounding for, for such theory. That's why this genealogy is important, because it points to the fact that Jesus was a legitimate Jew. He was a pure Jew of pure blood. He came from Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And the second thing that we get mentioned is that he was a descendant of David. <coughs> Not only was a son of Abraham, and that was important because God made promises to Abraham, but he was also the son of David. And David had himself received promises. More specifically, is mentioned not only in, ver in the first verse, but then in verse 6, we read uh, that he is, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. Verse 6 also mentions again this, this genealogy. One of the interesting things is that, if you'll notice, is quite interesting in the sense that David is the only one who is mentioned as the king here. David, the king. He is the only one who is qualified as king. There are many other kings in this, in this genealogy. You have Solomon, you have Rehoboam, you have all of those uh, up until the Babylonian captivity. They were kings. They were kings of Israel, but only one Matthew mentions as king here, King David. They were all kings, but David, for the Jews, for the, for the, for the Israelites, was the king par excellence. He was king with a capital K. He was the first king of this dynasty. He was the king of Israel, to whom God had also made the promise that from his offspring, there would be someone who would sit in the throne of Israel forever. And the Jews knew that the Messiah to come, this expected Messiah that was to come, would, would be someone who would sit on the throne of Israel, not only as the, the legitimate son of Abraham, of course, but as the, the son of David. So this child born in a manger, this child born in Bethlehem, he was of noble blood. That's what Matthew is saying. He was the offspring of the kings of Israel, and he was of the lineage of David. He was the one who God had promised to David, who would come, who would sit on 
the throne of Israel forever, the final king, the last king, the supreme, the ultimate king, who would reign not only over Israel, but over the nations and over the world. So therefore, this genealogy is in, here intended to show us that Jesus was legally not only the son of Abraham, but he was of royal descent. He was of the lineage of David, the descendant of David. The messianic hope centered on this son of Abraham, of David, who was to come. When years later, this, this, our Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem when he was about 30 in the triumphal entry. You remember that riding on the donkey. You remember what the people were saying to him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. They knew of the promise and they joyfully announced the fulfillment of all those hopes. <coughs> in the third place, in this genealogy, it is a suggestion, you know, it is implied. It is not very clear, but I think any careful reading of this genealogy sees this is one of the, the goals of Matthew in, in pointing it, uh, putting it in the way that he did, is that it suggests that this child would be the savior of sinners. It is good for us to remember who Matthew was. Matthew was a publican, a tax collector. Matthew was someone who was considered a, a great evildoer in his society by his uh, fellow countrymen. He was an outcast. He was of a social class that although he was in a, of low social class as a publican, he was quite well off, uh, certainly in life. But he was not someone of good morals or of good standing or conduct. He was questionable. The Pharisees, the religious elite in, in uh, Jesus' day, in, uh, they, if they wanted to insult someone, if they wanted to, to say that someone was a very great sinner, they would say, this man is, with, is like, sinner, is like the, the publicans, like the tax collectors and the prostitutes. That was the lowest of low of, uh, of sinners. The, to be placed among uh, the tax collectors who were basically traitors. The reason why they were so uh, held in so low esteem is that they were seen as traitors by their fellow countrymen. They were working for the occupier, for the oppressor, collecting taxes for Caesar, for the empire. They were placing burden, financial burdens on, on the poorest of their society. So Matthew was a publican. This is the first thing that we need to see. And it isn't it wonderful that Jesus would call a publican, a, a, a tax collector, to be his disciple, to be his apostle? There is another genealogy, as I've mentioned, and you know, in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And what is interesting is to see and to notice some of the names that Matthew uh, places in his genealogy that are not there in the genealogy of Luke. As you know, this genealogy spans about 2,000 years. And it is interesting 
the, at the, uh, to look at the choice of names and some of the notable inclusions that Matthew brings here. And the implication is why? One of the great differences between this genealogy and the one in Luke is that we have a list of the ancestors of Jesus who were of dubious reputation, but, but in particular of these four women. Matthew includes the name of four women in his genealogy. Two of them were not Jewish. Two of them were Gentile women. Two of them, or th- out of the four, three of them uh, didn't behave or have some kind of questionable uh, action in their reputation. The first of, one of them is Tamar, Tamar. Tamar is mentioned in verse 3. And Tamar deceived her stepfather. Stepfather? Father-in-law, sorry. Deceived her father-in-law, Judah, to have relations with him. She was married to Judah's son. And when Judah's son died and her, his brother did not perform the leveret marriage that we spoke of, she came to Judah. And Judah was unwilling. So she took it upon herself to deceive Judah into having relations with, uh, to deceive her father-in-law into having relationships with her. Uh, and she got pregnant with him. What a story. What an action. But Matthew puts it here exactly to take uh, the point that this woman is a part of the genealogy of Jesus. The next woman with a questionable history or reputation (coughs) is indeed a prostitute named Rahab, a harlot. She is mentioned there in verse 5. Salmon uh, with Rahab begot Boaz. And Rahab is uh, normally better known. It's a quite well-known story in the Old Testament. She was a Canaanite woman uh, who lived in the city of Jericho. And she sheltered the Israelite spies. She had a brothel and a house that functioned, or a house that had functioned as a brothel where people went to look for prostitution services. And she received the spies and she sheltered them. She protected them. She believed in the God of Israel. She converted there and she was saved. She was not killed like the other residents of Jericho when the the Israelites uh, came. But she was saved and she was accepted into the family, into the nation of Israel. So that's Rahab. She's married. Uh, she married Solomon, a descendant of Abraham, and from that entire lineage, there came one who became David's great, great, great grandfather, and later, of course, Christ. So th- she's the second woman with a questionable reputation or a questionable history that men- Matthew mentions, and the third one is Bathsheba. She's not mentioned by name, but she's mentioned in verse uh, six. The David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And we know the story of David with Bathsheba, don't we? 
David the king, he lusted in his heart. Uh, he, after this woman, he called for her. She was brought into his presence. Again, there was uh, uh, sex in, in, and there was a child. She got pregnant. They had a child. The first child died, but the second survived after the situation had been um, resolved in some way. And the second survived. The second son who was born to them was Solomon, who, came, who was an, uh, an ancestor of our Lord Jesus. So Matthew puts here three women of dubious reputation who were ancestors of, of Jesus Christ. They were Christ's great, 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 great grandparents. And the question is, why does he do that? And by the way, it's not just the women that they are of dubious uh, character. <laughs> if you know a little bit about the Old Testament history, some of these names are some of the most corrupted, uh, wicked men, uh, in adulterous, murderous, idolaters. You have all of it in this lineage. Rehoboam, Manasseh, Ahaz. The lineage of Jesus is full of failed people. People who did what they shouldn't. Corrupted people. And why is it important? Why does Matthew mention that here? I think for two reasons. First, to show that he was truly human. That Christ came into the world. He not, that when Christ came into the world, he not only became uh, one of us, but he assumed our lineage. He assumed our race our ancestry, our history. And our history is, isn't it, also marked by a lot of mistakes. Failures from our parents, from our grandparents, our great-grandparents. Our lineage is full of people who have made mistakes, who sinned, who turned their backs to God, who failed in life, who did horrible things, who did... Tremendous things. Jesus comes into a race, into a, a, a humanity that needs redemption. That's what our race needs. That's what our humanity needs is redemption. That's why when Jesus came into the world, he came to be a part of a corrupted race. And he had corruption in his own ancestry. That's why I find it so weird, but just as an aside, when you, some of you have been Roman Catholics or were raised in Roman Catholic uh, backgrounds, the, the whole thing about, well, Mary needed to be sinless, otherwise uh, she couldn't begot uh, Jesus, uh, sinless baby Jesus. Have you ever read the genealogy of Jesus? Even if Mary was born sinless, as the Roman Catholics try to affirm, with no biblical backing, what about Mary's father and mother? They have to be sinless too. They would have to be sinless all the way back to, to, to Adam and Eve. And then you wouldn't need a savior, would you? Just bewildering how Roman Catholics think, okay, if we just push it back to Mary, then it's fine. That's Mary worship. That's not because of Jesus. Just be honest. You don't want Mary because you, you want to worship Mary. You don't want Mary to be s sinful. But that's um, besides the point in a sense. 
There is no need. Um, the miracle that happened in the, uh, that made Jesus to be sinless is the fact that he was born of Mary, generated by the Spirit, begotten of the Spirit. So that's the, the third point, an implied point, but a true point nonetheless, that Jesus is the sa- sa- sinner's Savior. And fourthly, and lastly, it is clear to that Jesus is the Son of God with this genealogy. That's the fourth point, Son of God, Son of Abraham, Son of David, the sinner's Savior, and the Son of God. He is said here, isn't he, to be a son of Mary, but not of Joseph, which is interesting. Look at verse 15 and 16. Eliud begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathan. Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. The, uh, Christ. Until now, the, the genealogy goes so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. And and it's always the man giving birth to the, or generating the, the child. But here, Matthew breaks with it here and says that Joseph, who was married to Mary, from whom, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Jesus is the son of Mary and not of Joseph in the sense that he is not the physical descendant of Joseph. He is legally the son, Joseph's son, but not physically. Because how will he say, uh, because how Matthew will mention later on. Now the birth of Jesus, verse 18, sa- he says, was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they, became, they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Already, uh, uh, this is in Matthew, we're being taught that this child is different. He was special. He is, in fact, the child of God generated by the Holy Spirit. So to recapitulate, that's what this genealogy teaches us here, before the birth of Jesus. Before we come to consider uh, the narration from verse 18 onwards of the birth of Jesus, we are being told that he is the son of Abraham, the son of David, this this king's family tree we're being shown or, or given a glimpse into that he was the son of sinners, fourthly, that he is the son of God, that he came into this world to save us. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas represents, the one who is the fulfillment of all the ancient promises the arrival of the only one who can redeem us from our sins, to redeem our race, to cleanse us from our iniquity. That's why at Christmas we should be thankful (coughs) to thank God for his love and his mercy. But more than that, that's why we have confidence in coming to Jesus. He identifies with sinners. He, didn't, he, was, he was not ashamed of this genealogy. He was, 
he, he came into this world born sinless of a virgin, yes, but he, he filled with Almighty Spirit, ro he rose from the dead, he ascended into the heavens, but he is also the son of he who knows what sin is. He understands sin. He, know, he, he knows not from personal uh, living in it, but he knows sin of seeing it. And that is one of the greatest confidences that we have because when we come before the Lord, when we don't come before an impassable God, well, impassable, what is an impassable God? A God who feels no passions, a God who feels no, 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 uh, no, no emotion in that sense, an impassive. We pray not to an insensitive God in that sense, but we pray to one who came, who took human flesh, not only our place, but our lineage and our race. And on the cross, he received the deserved punishment for our sins, our deserved punish punishment. He took our place. And that's what Christmas is for us at this time of year where there is so much joy, so much wrongdoing as well. It is that one who came to save sinners. That's what his name means. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You should immediately go, wait, Jesus, Yeshua in, in Hebrew. God saves. That's why the book, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we read that there is salvation in no other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus the God-man. He was none other than God in human flesh. And Matthew tells us he came to dwell in this land, in this world. He came to heal the sick. You, as we will read through this, this wonderful gospel of Matthew, we will see that he came to heal the sick. sick. He was with the, with the demon possessed to liberate them. He was with the, the poor in spirit to bless and to lift them up. He was with the care ridden and to free them from care. He cleansed lepers. He, he cured diseased. He fed the hungry. He restored those who were disabled. But most of all, he came to seek and save that which was lost. To save us. Emmanuel is another name. God with us. God with us. God infinitely rich. Became poor. Assumed our nature. Entered our sin polluted atmosphere. Without being tainted by it. And he took our guilt. He bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was Wounded by our transgressions, he was bruised by our iniquities. He went to heaven to prepare a place for us. He sent his spirit to dwell on our hearts. And right now, even now, he makes intercession for our sins. And one day he will come to take us home to be with him. Through his poverty, as the Apostle Paul said, we are made 
rich. It is God alone who saves. In Psalm 20, you have this picture of, of the, the men who, who trust in themselves, people who trust in horses and chariots, who trust, and that's our world. Some people trust in their strength, in their knowledge, in their intuition, in their reputation, their prestige, their education, their, 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 their intelligence, their position, their friends, their, their whatever, their technology. But at the end of the day, nothing can save you but our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can save, and he shall save his people from his sins, as verse 21 says. Only he, only he is mighty to save. To him be the glory forever and ever.